that looks like a fun series. All right, which side of the tree are you? How many of you are on the left side of the tree today? Anybody? We're going to do a series for four weeks during the month of January in which we talk about our life in Christ and what it means to know him, follow him, um, have his life in us the way he lived, to live the way he lived and to love the way he loved. A flourishing life is his plan for us. In fact, his very first um, sermon was a call to be what? Blessed. Blessed are those. Happy are those. Uh, enriched are those. Um, the prescription was a little different than what people were expecting. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Uh, blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But Jesus came into the world to give a blessed life and a happy life. And during the month of January, we're going to talk about what it means to flourish, particularly in relationships. In 1938, a group of researchers, or led by one particular at Harvard Medical School, began a study that has lasted till today. And it followed a group of students at Harvard for their entire lives, even to the point of their death. And every year, the study asked them certain questions about their lifestyles, their habits, their relationships, their work, and their happiness to see how they did as they aged. It became known as the Harvard Study of Adult Development. 268 men began the study from all walks of life Eventually, it was thought to be too insular that they were only Harvard students, so they expanded it to include 450 others around the Boston area from less favorable circumstances. And today, the study simply traces all of these subjects throughout all of their life, and uh, they're now tracking their children and grandchildren after 80 years of study. In particular, the study characterized the participants in respect to their health and happiness. And so there became two points of the spectrum, those who were thought at the end of their life or through their life to be happy and well or sad and sick and somewhere on the spectrum. And it really measured dimensions of, dimensions of physical health, mental health, and total life satisfaction. It's a fascinating study that it continued so long. Not surprisingly, there were about seven predictors of where you might end up in the study. Did you feel healthy in your life and happy, or were you not so on the other side? You want to hear what the seven predictors were? One was um, smoking drinking, healthy body weight, exercise, adaptive coping style, my ability to handle problems and appraise them honestly and deal with them directly without ruminating too much on them, an ability to cope with problems, education, because it turned out the more education, the more likely you were to be active in your mind later on, be a lifetime learner. And the last predictive factor was stable long-term relationships. And for most people, this was marriage, but other relationships were a factor too. Essentially, it boiled down to this. Uh, George Valiant, the most uh, 
the leading researcher, said that the most important trait in health and wellness is happy relationships. Quote, he said, happiness is love, full stop. His successor in the study, um, a man by the name of Robert Waldinger, said that the lessons aren't so much about what we learn of wealth and fame and working harder and harder. The clearest message we get from this study is good relationships keep us happier and healthier. The people who were the most satisfied with their relationships at age 50 were the healthiest at age 80. Interesting. Now, I'm not going to do a psychological study through the month of January, but it turns out that social science actually tips a window into what God says about the blessed life, the promising life, the flourishing life. And because Jesus said, blessed are those who, we're going to look at what does it mean to have blessed relationship with God, and then how does it trickle out into relationships with other people? And there's perhaps no more central text that we could look to than in the book of Colossians chapter 3, which is going to be our kicking off point for what it means to flourish with God and with others. So if you have a Bible, let's open together to Colossians chapter 3. And in Colossians chapter 3, we're going to find three verses that are coming out of Paul's encouragement to the Colossian church to live their life because Christ has changed their life. Now, just a little clue of where we're going today. We're going to go through these three verses and see four things about loving relationships, and then we're going to take communion together. And I already want you to be thinking about taking communion at the end of our service, because communion is the way in which we all corporately worship him together and align our hearts to him, and I pray that these texts will lead us to that. So let me read Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Perfect harmony. That's sort of the target here. Where are we going? What is perfect harmony? What is flourishing? What is the good life? Well, it emerges out of this. I'd like you to think about how Jesus loves. And we're going to talk about love this morning in four ways. Number one, the source of love. And then the traits of love, the habits of love, and the result of love. So first, the source of love. The text begins this way. So, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is a command that Paul's giving to the Colossian church to put on, we'll come to that in a moment, to put on certain qualities, which we'll look at in a moment, but because you are these three things, you are God's chosen ones, and you are holy, and you are beloved. And what this tells us, that the source of love is not ourselves, but what Paul is going to do in inviting us to be people who love like Jesus is to understand who we are because of where love comes from. 
And so his injunction to this group of people is, because this is who you are, then you act in this way. And so what, what kind of people are they? Well, they're God's chosen ones. They have been redeemed by his grace. And they have a standing with him through Jesus that Jesus actually spoke about in... Um, in John chapter 15, he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I chose you that your fruit would abide and remain. And so I'm giving you this commandment that you love one another. You're chosen ones. And you're holy. And how many of you feel holy? Well, it turns out that holy is a word that the New Testament uses for anyone who has come to Jesus and put your faith in Jesus and you trust in him. The language that the Bible uses is that because you've trusted in Jesus, your sins are what? Forgiven and removed. And the guilt of your sin is gone. So how great is it that we're going to take communion this morning and remember that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin? And you may not think of yourself as holy, but if you're in Christ, how does God think of you? As his own son and daughter, forgiven, cleansed, you're not on probation, you're not trying to work it off, you've actually found the grace of Jesus Christ, and he thinks of you as cleansed. Everybody said, I mean, that's real. So that's why Paul can say, you've been chosen by God and you're holy. Now, the dissonance in our mind comes that we don't always act holy. And we all stumble in many ways. And we come to him for forgiveness and cleansing, but God thinks of us as his redeemed, forgiven, holy saints. That's what saints means, holy ones. And then you are beloved. Do you know that God loves you? You are loved by God. Tell the person sitting next to you, you're loved by God. Okay, if you're sitting by yourself, this is part of the reason we're doing this series, okay? No, I'm, I'm just kidding him. First uh, John 4, 7 and 8 says this, Beloved, let us love one another for everybody. Love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because, everybody, God is love. Right, two simple statements in the Bible, God is love, and that's why we could say we are loved by God. We're beloved you may not feel loved by the world. You may not feel loved by anyone else in your life. You may actually feel that one, you know, one of the greatest new health epidemics in the United States of America has been declared this past year as loneliness. Loneliness. I was reading about this. You know what the, the, the leading professions of lonely professionals are lawyers and doctors. You'd think that that might not be the case, but in one study, that, that's what it showed. But people are suffering in an epidemic way of loneliness. How great is it to know that the source of love is God himself? And so this whole section is going to call us to be people who love, but not because that's the way we'll be loved, but because we are loved. So 1 John 4, 19 says this. 
we love because he first loved us. I just want to begin that when what we're going to talk about today is a call to what is the good life? The good life is living in a loving relationship with God that spills over to every other relationship with other people in a way that loves like Jesus loved. And the only reason we can do that is because we understand that we have been deeply loved by God and um, yeah, his love has been manifest. Now let's look at the traits of love. In the section that follows there, we're going to say, put on as those who are chosen of God, holy and beloved, because that's who you are, put on five traits of love. They probably aren't a complete list, but this is what Paul put down there. Put on compassionate hearts, put on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. In other words, this is the way love shows up in relationships with a compassionate heart. The idea of compassionate heart here is the sense of experiencing on the inside a level of affection, compassion, for other people around us. To feel it in a sense of love. Do you know in the old, anybody know the word uh, that was used in association with compassion in the old King James Version? with good reason we don't use it anymore, but it was referred to as the bowels of compassion. It's like the inside of you. What what is on the inside is like what you feel inside when you you look at someone and you just like, you you don't go through motions in a perfunctory way, but like I really feel something. I have compassion and I have a longing for you. And kindness is like a desire to help and to be merciful to someone, what is useful to someone else, and put on humility. Do you know in the Greek language in Paul's day, there really wasn't a good word for humility. It was a Christian word that was added to the vocabulary in the Roman Empire. Why do you suppose that is? Because humility was not thought to be a virtue. Pride was. Self. Self was important. This is a very Christian idea to hold myself in humility and love others. Because pride is the opposite of a self-love. And when you're self-loving, how does that work in your marriage? How does that work in relationships? It's really hard to love other people when all you can think about is yourself. So you put on humility. You you put it on. And then the last is that, uh, or meekness. Now this is a funny word because a lot of people think meekness is a sign of weakness or wimpishness. But to be meek is simply to be mild, a willingness to suffer injury rather than to inflict injury. It's to take a lesser place so that others can be preferred, self-deferring so others can be preferred. Meekness and then patience. Put on patience. The ability to bear with someone else. Um, Emotional calm in the face of misfortune or being provoked. Patience is being able to hang with someone else. Patience is expressed in a number of languages um, idiomatically. 
one of the ways is you remain seated in your heart. Think about that for a minute. I'm being patient. I'm remaining seated in my heart. I'd like to stand up and shout, but I'm remaining calm, seated in my heart to keep one's heart from jumping or having a waiting heart. It's like I'm patient. Now these are traits to put on. I think it's important to understand that these can only occur in a measure that resembles Jesus if the first part is true for you, that you've received the source of love from the source giver, Jesus himself. And so these traits are the evidence that show others they're really loved as you put them on. Now let's think about put on. What is that? It really meant like putting on clothes. So you picked out your clothes today and you put them on. And the sense is that you put these on as a practice, as a habit, like you put on the shirt that you like. I want to be seen in this shirt. I thought about wearing an old dirty shirt today on the platform, taking it off, putting on a different shirt, but I gave up on it. But the idea, you, you know, you could put on something else. You can put on pride. You know what it looks like if you put on um, a selfish heart. You know what that looks like. But when you sort of dress yourself as that these are the traits I want to show and manifest, the idea of putting on means um, to envelop yourself in it so that the outward expression lines up with the true reality that we've just talked about, and that is that Christ is in you and his love from him is actively and attentively being shown in all the relationships around us. I'm going to say it one more time just to be careful. This is a distinctively Christian call. Because in the United States of America today, Christianity is suffering the demise of being amalgamated into other ideologies in the world and Christianity is being compromised away from biblical truth to a moralistic approach to living. And one of the marks of that is that there are a lot of people in the world today who think Christianity is nothing more than understanding that God made us to be happy and... We should do whatever we need to to be happy. And um, God exists, but we don't really need him unless we get in trouble. And God wants us all to be nice to each other and sweet. So just be nice and remember that everyone who's good and nice goes to heaven. That's American Christianity without this. And that's not what I'm asking of you when I say you should get dressed every day trying to think of yourself. I want to be compassionate, kind, meek, humble, and patient with people. I'm not asking you to be more moral 
in your life. What, where is this coming from? This is coming from God has said, I love you, I forgive you, I give you my Holy Spirit, I make you holy through my Son, so let my life flow through you in these ways. It's really important so we wake up every day and say, Lord, how do you put on these things? It's really, doesn't it sound like a life in the Holy Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. It sounds very familiar to that. It's Christ's life flowing through me into others. So that's the source of love. These are sort of the traits of love or the characteristics of love. Let's look at the habits of love. There are two habits that are described here. This is the way we love each other. Number one, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. What does that mean? It just has this sense of being patient with uh, during times of difficulty to have a bit of endurance with someone who annoys you. Okay, go like this. <laughs> it's like someone in your life that occasionally you have to just say, I'm going to, I'm going to bear with. I'm going to endure. And every marriage needs this. Every church needs this. Every company needs this. Every youth group needs this. Every collection of people needs the ability to bear with when things are difficult in relationships. And Paul's saying that this is part of what it means to love and show others that their foibles and failures are not final in your relationship with them. You can endure and you can bear with people who are annoying and we know who we are, okay? And then the second habit is almost more intense because in life it's impossible not to be hurt by people in our life. But the habit of love is not only to bear, put up, endure in a loving way people who are harder to love, but to actually forgive, secondly, those who have sinned against us. There's not a person in the room who hasn't been sinned against. All of us have. At levels from here to inexpressible. And what does, what does the Bible say to us about forgiving? If anyone has a complaint against anyone, do you? Forgive each other. Okay, I'll forgive. How? Oh, it says that too. How? Everybody? As the Lord has forgiven you, so also should you. So how has the Lord forgiven you? See point one. You're holy. You're forgiven. All your sins are removed. Like how does Jesus forgive? Conditionally? No, what did he teach his disciples? How often do I have to forgive my wife? How often? 490. Seven times 70, Jesus said. To give a specific number or to give a number so big that you'd lose track trying to keep count of it? I think probably the latter. The point is that your love is just flowing out of you to forgive people in the same measure that Christ does. Now, this is not easy. This is not um, easily said. It's easily said and, and Sometimes hard. So what's required? Step two, put on a heart of compassion. 
tenderness, meekness, humility, patience, and forgiving others, anyone who has a complaint against someone, just as the Lord has forgiven you. Listen, this is the way Jesus promised that love would do the result of love that we're going to look at in just a moment. And if you're in a position where you're having a hard time forgiving someone, I want you to just think about as we come to communion this morning, how to interpret as the Lord has forgiven you, so must you forgive. And then just pray that God's grace would help you to be able to apply a level of forgiveness to someone who is in your mind when you think, I don't know how I could forgive that person. Because this is really one of the calls and the habits of love. You remember when Jesus talked about forgiveness in Matthew chapter 18, he told a parable. He told a parable about a man who owed a debt that was so big there was no possible way he could ever repay it. And yet the lender came to that debtor and said to him, I forgive you. The sad part of the parable is the debt was so big that he could have never repaid it with all of his efforts through all of his life, but he went out from that exchange with that lender who forgave him his debt, and he found somebody else who owed him a minuscule debt. And he throttled him and said, I'll throw you in prison unless you pay me back. Well, the master found out about that, and he took him and said, unless you forgive those, neither will I forgive you. This is a very challenging word to us, but it's what makes Christianity not moralism, but transformation through Jesus Christ. As Christ forgave you, so can you forgive The habits of love. What's the result of love? The result of love is found in the last verse, above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's like a belt that goes around the waist and holds everything together. Put on, dress up with love. And you're not surprised to learn, if those of you who know, that the word for love used here is the word agape which is a kind of self-sacrificial love that gives of ourselves to others for their benefit, even to sometimes our sacrifice. It is a state of giving up of ourselves. And the result is this flourishing idea, perfect harmony. It is the picture of things work together when people love each other. And it is a beautiful picture, isn't it? Like it's what holds a family together. And I'd love to talk to every, every young person, every child who's here in the room, is that loving your parents and honoring them creates peace in the house. And parents loving your kids and loving one another creates harmony in the house. Where there is love that is sacrificial and demonstrates those kind of traits that we just looked at and the habits of bearing with and forgiving, like there's harmony that grows in that and there's flourishing. I have a picture of the church seeing Christ walking through his life, loving people, never in a hurry, always able to be with them and loving them right where they are and saying, Lord, would you just let that kind of love of Jesus filter through our congregation, through every family, in every marriage, so that in every relationship 
represented in this room, the love of God flows through us in this way. It's not a mistake that we actually have a mission statement for our church that says we're, we're actually building a Christ-centered, it's about Jesus, because we can't love in this way without Jesus, a Christ-centered community of people who are fully devoted to everybody, loving God, loving others, like love is the greatest. There is a verse that Paul put, in, and you know we may get to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, but it's a great chapter, maybe your homework, go home and read chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians that describes the beautiful qualities of love. Here's the last verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, now faith, hope, and love abide. Faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is love. Have you ever thought why the greatest of these is love? Because it's the one of these three that you're going to carry with you into eternity. And you won't need hope. And you won't need faith. Because those will both be realized. But the one thing you will have is love. It's great. Now Jesus said, love is an apologetic to the world around us that's suffering from an epidemic of loneliness. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you, you need to love one another. And by this, all will know that you really are my disciples if you have love for one another. There is a world that needs to know that the people who call on the name of Jesus are not just sweet people. They're really transformed and love in this way that, that allows us to bear with, to forgive, and to keep on loving. I'm convinced that good relationships built on the love of God flowing through us is the picture of a flourishing life. And I pray that God will give us that as we look at it over the next several weeks. We love because he first loved us. And we're going to remember his love for us this morning. If God's spoken to you about something in your own life that you say, ooh, I, I want to pay attention to that, why don't in these next moments of silence you just speak to God about where you're at? Do you know him? Are you forgiven? Are you far from God? Are you living in his love? Why don't you just come back to him and talk to him in silence and prepare your heart for communion? And those who are going to serve are going to come forward. We will distribute the bread to everybody and then we'll eat together and then we'll distribute the cup and then we'll drink together. But let's prepare our hearts for that, thinking about his love for us. Bow your heads with me.